Hello again, my fellow believers, for another episode of a Life Well Lived podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Jensen. You're in for a real treat on this one. I'm well. Did you think I would spoil it? Well, I'm not just going to. You're going to have to listen to it yourself. This one was done September 25th, 1988. I'd like to share with you a little episode from some of my favorite people, and I hope yours too. Uh, this took place at school, and it was between uh, Peppermint Patty, who is uh, Charlie Brown's sister, and uh, Marcy. And uh, Peppermint uh, just got back her um, test results, and she exclaims, rats, another D minus. And Marcy, who is kind of a intellectual egghead, uh, is going to give her some philosophy about life. And so she replies, life has its sunshine and its rain, sir, its days and its nights, its peaks and its valleys. And Peppermint replies, it's raining tonight in my valley. (laughs) Now, if you feel like you're in the nighttime and can't see too well, and it's raining and storming in your life, and you're in the valley, turn with me once more to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and this morning we want to look at the first 10 verses. That's on page 1307 in your pew Bible. If you don't have a New Testament with you, I reach in there to the rack and take out the Bible and turn to page 1307 as we look together at some very, very practical help for hurting people, a help for people who have all kinds of problems that are storming against them, um, that just seem to knock us down. Peter gives to us a message of hope at the time when we feel so helpless. Uh, Beginning with the 11th verse of this chapter, he's going to begin some... Uh, help with specific issues and give to us some specific solutions. Up to this moment, through the 10th verse of chapter 2, he is laying a foundation for all that he's going to say. He wants these people to have an understanding of the reservoir from which they can uh, bring some help to meet their needs. It is absolutely essential if we are going to be able to cope with life's problems to be able to extract help from some of those substantial areas. Remember what he said, we're special people. Uh, We were the objects of the activity of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God the Father selected, elected us before eternity, in eternity past, before we were ever born. The Spirit of God sanctified us, set us apart onto obedience and commitment to the place where we were cleansed by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, who died in our place for our sins. Not only that, but Peter tells us to look forward to our hope when Jesus comes again to uh, receive us unto himself. And until then, he says, as we learned last week, and I want to remind you, he says, make sure that you are holy, be holy and be responsible in your life, and be loving. And now as he concludes this development about our great salvation in these 10 verses, he also says, be growing. And 
that's what the message is about today. Uh, Howard spoke of the fact that all of us are growing. We are older. <laughs> Every one of us. We can't help it. It's beyond our control. Now, he said that he was young. That's true, because his last name is Young. That was Howard Young who read the scripture. But all of us are growing older, and so is Howard. We have no control over it. And we're all growing old at the same rate. Uh, every one of us are a week older than we were last Sunday. Isn't that something? Every one of us, same rate. It's beyond our control. But it is within our control as to whether or not we are growing deeper, whether or not we are maturing. Some people grow older and they become more immature. And Peter is wanting his readers to understand that we need to make a decision. There's something within our control so that we can move ahead. None of us stay the same. We are not the same people today as we were last week. I've always liked the words of C.S. Lewis, who I think puts it so simply and so clearly when he says, no one can remain a good egg. We either hatch or we go bad. <laughs> and it's true. And we have a responsibility. And we need to grow. Now, there are two things in this passage of Scripture that are basic all the way through. And our growth, that is deeply, maturely, so that we are able to cope with life situations, is dependent upon what we take in and what we put out. And we have a choice. And he wants us to take in the right things and to put out the right things. Now, the first three verses deal with what we take in. And I call your attention to the second verse when he says, like newborn babies crave spiritual milk, so that in it you may grow up in your salvation. The appetite of a young baby is just absolutely legendary and well known to all of us. Those of you who are parents, yep, parents of young children know exactly what I mean. You who have been parents of young children know exactly what I mean. A little baby wants at 2 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 3 o'clock, round the clock feeding when you want to sleep. And, oh, boy, do they want that. And so you have to get up, and you get the bottle prepared. And uh, I dated myself in the first service by saying that you walk into the kitchen and your feet feel this cold floor, and you have to stay there until the stove, you know, makes the water warm. And I was told later on that now they use the microwave. It's not as long. But the floor is still cold. And then finally it's warm enough. And you take that bottle and you plug it into this place that has this opening that's making all of this bellowing noise, and it works. And silence reigns, and it is so nice. But that baby craves milk. Doesn't care what it costs, doesn't care what it costs you, doesn't even think uh, how late you stayed up the night before, doesn't take into consideration whether or not you don't feel well. It wants milk, and it craves it. Peter is saying that if we are growing more deeply so that we can cope with these problems in life, we need to be people who are craving this milk, uh, this food, this nourishment from God so that we might know how to live in a way that will give glory to our Savior. And so he just says, like newborn babies. Now, it's a commandment. Crave spiritual milk. It's just something that we must do. Now, every one of us who've had little babies awaken us at 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning kind of complain about it. 
know, boy, again, you know, got up two o'clock this morning. But we really get saddened when um, a little baby doesn't crave milk. And there is some kind of an infection inside its life and its appetite is inhibited. Now, Peter says the same thing can happen to people, can even happen to Christians. Uh, if we're not craving spiritual milk, there's something that's wrong. I mean, there's something wrong, something that needs to be right. And Peter here mentions in the first verse about five terrible viruses that dull spiritual appetite. And he calls them by some very strong words like malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and uh, slander. And he says, if any of these things are there, he says, make sure that you get rid of them. Rid yourselves. If you have any semblance of anything like that, that is dulling your appetite. And very literally, the word means to uh, strip them off. That's what it means. Just strip them off. Take them off. Don't tolerate it in your life. If you're not craving spiritual milk, if you're not seeking it, if you're not searching it to find out how God wants you to live, there's a virus that's wrong. Strip it off. Last Sunday morning, while I was eating breakfast, I had an um, illustration that was working itself out to illustrate this, this wording that Peter uses here of um, strip yourself of malice and deceit and all these uh, things that can hurt us. Uh, last Saturday night, uh, my daughter-in-law and uh, my uh, handsome grandson uh, stayed with us. And, uh, and then uh, Sunday morning, um, I was at the breakfast table along with my grandson, Andrew, and uh, I was eating. Uh, his mother uh, was getting ready, packing, because she had to leave right after the first service for Colorado, and my wife Betty, I think, was busy about some other things, and so there I was eating, and, and Andrew was eating. He was on these little high chairs, and um, uh, he had his milk, and he had his uh, cereal. He was just going along. He had a great time eating there with me. And then all of a sudden, he pushed it all the way, and uh, he just started to grunt. And then I saw him take his hands, and he has little, their little handles there in his high chair affair, and kind of squeezed it and <clears throat> grunted some more. Grunted some more. And then he had a funny smirk on his face. And then he grunted again. And again, and then kind of smiled. And then all of a sudden, I detected a peculiar, funny odor. And very quickly, this odor was no longer funny. I mean, he was doing all of this, understand, while I was eating. I mean, I was right there. And, uh, well, you understand what a wise, loving grandfather does at those times. I immediately called for his mother, and I said, Kathy, come in here quick. <laughs> uh, 
And so she came in and she saw what was happening or what had happened. And she said, Andrew, what have you done? I mean, she knew what he had done. But she took him into the bathroom and you know what she did? She stripped off those dirty diapers and cleaned them up. Now, Peter says, if there is a lack of our craving the milk of the word, it's because we've got some dirty diapers on that have been caused by some of these terrible viruses, like, um, like malice, uh, like uh, hypocrisy, and like envy, and uh, like uh, evil speaking. And he says, take them off. Uh, these are terrible things, because if one of these things alone are within our life, we are going to be inhibited. We are going to put other things before we uh, want to seek the word of God for our lives. So let's just look at these things, because we're all vulnerable to them, and we know that. And the first one that he mentions here is deceit. Um, it is a, uh, excuse me, I mean the first one he mentions here is malice. And this word malice is, uh, is a general word for wickedness. It's a person who's just kind of got uh, a settled ill will, very touchy. It's a kind of a person who dresses up in sandpaper. And if you get close to them, they always rub you the wrong to do with it. Just kind of a bad attitude, kind of a bitterness, always complaining, griping kind of a person. That's malice. And then the next word is a fisherman's word, deceit. Uh, some of your translations might have a translated guile. It just simply means to ensnare with a bait. Uh, it's, it's the kind of a person who manipulates things and people in order to accomplish their agenda. And that is such a selfish kind of an attitude. And then there is another one, I suppose one of the sins that Jesus attacked most, and it is that of this uh, hypocrisy and he defined it splendidly in chapter 23 of Matthew when he speaks of those who do not practice what they preach, people who say that they love the Lord, but you don't see them serving the Lord or you don't see them ministering to people. Uh, just kind of a hypocrisy claiming one thing, but their life is not uh, measuring up to it on the other. And then you have this fourth virus, uh, this big green giant of envy that has ill feeling towards somebody else's blessings. Jealous, envious because they have the recognition or they have the position or they have the nice new car or the nice house or the nice clothes or the nice job or whatever it might be, but envious of somebody else, not satisfied with God's providences in their life and constantly scraping against that kind of thing. And then there is this last one, slander of every kind. Uh, it's interesting that the Bible has more to say about this particular sin than he does than it does about adultery or murder, because this is so, so damaging to so many people. Uh, it's a good translation that we have here, slander of every kind. Uh, the word that um, that Peter used here comes from two words. One is speaking, and the other is down. So it means speaking down. 
And so when it's translated, the slander of every kind is any kind of place that you're putting somebody else down. Uh, gossip or slander or um, just um, put downs, whatever they might be. Evil speakings of any kind that's talking about somebody else. And usually that person is never present. Isn't that interesting? But that's how it works. And we all know how damaging that is in families when some family members talk about another family member when that other family member isn't present. You know how damaging it is in a neighborhood when you have some neighbors talking about some other neighbor. Or how damaging it is in the uh, classroom when some classmates are ganging up on some others verbally. And you know how damaging it is in the office. It can be damaging in the church. Uh, it is a terrible sin. And I'm underlining that because it's such a terrible virus. And it injures uh, one's appetite for the word of God. Anytime, anyone who does this kind of thing is not seeking the word of God. It's not craving spiritual milk to learn how to grow at all. I mean, there may be people who gather a lot of facts, but, but not seeking to know how to grow. The last couple of weeks, I had a couple of people who say, boy, you know, they just got caught in those kind of conversations. And that's why it's so damaging, because as we all know, it's so contagious. You listen to it, and then you wonder, what do I do with this now? Or you listen to it, and maybe you listen to part of it, and then maybe you believe part of it, and then maybe you're tempted to share something of that. And then it just becomes a wildfire, and there might even be enough truth to make all the lies stick together. And so what do you do with it? I'd like to give you two suggestions what you need to do if you're ever caught in that. Because sometimes we're listening to that, and you know, and you don't want to listen to it. So how do you avoid, how do you um, make sure that, that, that you're not infected by this terrible kind of thing? I suggest one of these two approaches that I found to be fairly useful. Um, one is just to ask, may I quote you on this? Now, usually what happens is that the gossip monger has an interesting way of turning many shades of red real quickly. <laughs> and they will say, oh, no. Well, of course you've got to quote them if you're going to deal with it. And you have to. So just ask them, well, may I quote you? And that's a very useful way to help the other person uh, to uh, be responsible. Um, Better yet, if you can, is just simply tell that person, hey, you shouldn't be telling me this. I can't do anything about it. And you're the one who knows more about it than I do, and you're really concerned about it. And so God's instructions to you are to go to that other person to help them. I mean, that is exactly what it says in Galatians. And if you see a brother who's overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, go and restore that person. Not criticize them. God, when he gave out spiritual gifts, never, never gave out the gift of criticism. I mean, that's a gift and a, and a tool that our enemy uses, and we certainly don't want to be instruments of that. And so we need to avoid this, just like the plague. Put it aside, he says. Strip it off and go after the word, because... If we're not taking in the word, if we're not craving it, something is wrong someplace 
on the inside. And Peter wants these people to grow. Now, it's not growing in Bible knowledge. That's not what it is. That's not what it means. You can get all kinds of Bible knowledge by reading a dictionary or a commentary. But it's an attitude of taking the truth of the scripture and knowing how it relates to my life and how to apply it to my life. And we need to have a craving to want to live out our life in a way that pleases God. And that's what Peter is telling these believers. They must have that kind of a growing momentum in their life if they're going to cope with all of these problems. And so I just want to say that everybody needs milk. And we need to crave it. And if we're not craving it, it's probably because there is some germ here. And if it is, we just need to examine ourselves and make sure it's not there because it's, it's dulling something up. Now, Peter goes on to say that our growth is also dependent not only on what we take in in our lives, but also uh, what we put out. And you notice here in verses 4 through 10, uh, Peter has a whole bunch of uh, pieces of information, most of which are rapid-fire quotations from the Old Testament. Now, I want you to notice how he handled the Word of God, and I think it supports everything that I said at the beginning. Uh, there are three things that I notice about Peter when he takes all of this information. These are all figures from the Old Testament. Uh, they are truths that instruct us about the Lord Jesus Christ, and also truths that instruct us about ourselves, who we are and what God has done for us. And Peter does three things. Number one, I want you to notice that Peter was acquainted with the facts in the Old Testament. He knew what the Old Testament said. One quotation after another, one place after another. He knew what they said. And secondly, he knew what they meant. He knew how to interpret them properly. He just didn't take a text out of a context. He really understood what this meant. And then thirdly, he knew how to apply it. He knew what to do with this information so that uh, there would be the muscle of faith and the muscle of contribution in order to help people. And that's the kind of thing that obviously he wants us to do. E.W. Tozer was a grand man of the faith. Went home to be with the Lord about 10, 15 years ago, I guess. And in uh, one place he points out how important it is to make sure that when we crave the word of God, we crave it so that we know how to live not just getting facts. And he said it this way, he says, there is scarcely anything so dull and meaningless as Bible doctrine taught for its own sake. Truth divorced from life is not truth in its biblical sense, but something else and something less. No man is better for knowing that God in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. The devil knows that. And so did Ahab and Judas Iscariot. No man is better for knowing that God so loved the world of men that he gave his only begotten son to die for their redemption. In hell there are millions who know that. Theological truth is useless until it is obeyed. And the purpose, he writes, behind all doctrine is to secure moral action. And so Peter wants us to take in the word so that we might be able to put out the right kind of effort that's going to build. Or otherwise, we become like the Dead Sea. 
there is, are things that run into it, but nothing goes out, and so it becomes putrid, and nothing can grow. And so he wants us to be careful to put out. And I want you to notice here um, what he does here regarding some of these figures of speech. Uh, he, first of all, refers to the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 4 as the living stone rejected by men, chosen by God, and precious. Uh, very interesting um, play upon the words a stone, a rock, a foundation, uh, where we can build our lives. It's living because of the resurrection. And then in verse 5, he speaks of us, his people, who have been chosen, who have been set aside for obedience in the sprinkling of the blood of the Lord Jesus. And he tells us that you also, like living stones, plural, are being built into a spiritual house, to be a royal priesthood offering not animal sacrifices, but spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through or in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are living stones built into a spiritual house. There's a wonderful illustration out of history that I think helps us to understand the impact of this took place many centuries ago when the king of Sparta used to boast about the great protective walls of the city of Sparta. And he had a visiting monarch who came, and this visiting monarch had heard much about these walls and looked all around and couldn't find any. And he says, where are these walls of Sparta that you're always boasting about? And so the king of Sparta pointed to his bodyguard who were in charge of the troops, and he said, these are the walls of Sparta. Every man a brick. Boy, you know, I mean, that clicks right away and tells us that bricks laying around by themselves, not incorporated into a structure, are of no value. But when they are put together, uh, like Shirlene had sung about earlier, put together by God's grace, then we become a spiritual house. That refers to all Christians fashioned together, organized together for ministry so that we can do something. If, you're, if our country's at war, it doesn't do much good for one person to say, I want to go out and fight the enemy. He needs to be shoulder to shoulder and heart to heart and mind to mind with fellow soldiers to do it. And that's what is being said right here. And we are built into a spiritual house. Now notice what? To be a holy priesthood. What's a priest? Every Christian is a priest. It says that. We are a priesthood. The church does not have a priesthood. The church is a priesthood. Every Christian is a priest. What helps me is to remember the Latin word for priest. It's pontifex. Pontifex means bridge builder. I like that. Everybody needs a bridge to take them from where they are to God. Everybody needs that. Priests are bridge builders. They fashion bridges. Not out of mud and manure, but with spiritual sacrifices. And if you look at some of the imageries that we have in the scripture, um, for instance, Paul said in Romans, 
we learn what a spiritual sacrifice is by his affirmation. He says, in view of the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. That means all of, all of who we are, my whole body, everything is represented here. The writer to the Hebrews says that spiritual sacrifices are praise unto our Lord. Doing good is a spiritual sacrifice. He also says that it's sharing with others. And when Paul was out on his missionary tour, uh, he gave thanks to the Philippians for sending him some monetary support, and he called it a fragrant offering unto the Lord to enable him to help build the bridges along with those Philippian priests. We are all priests, and we are all to offer up unto the Lord these spiritual sacrifices. Now, these are our privileges. And if you come down here to verse 9, do you notice that Paul mentions it? I mean, the writer, uh, Peter mentions it again here. Uh, when he said that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, there it is, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That brings growth. Taking in the word of God, putting out bridge building so that others can come to know him. We are priests so that we might declare, it says here, the praises of him who called us out of darkness into light. And when we do that, many are going to believe, some won't, but that's our job and that's our privilege and that's why we are priests. Every one of us, priests. To build bridges through life and through lip. Many will respond, some won't. We tell people to build upon the solid foundation of Jesus. I'll never forget, several years ago, a couple who were attending church here came to me and asked if I'd marry them. They said that they wanted a Christian home. Well, if they want a Christian home, you have to find out if they're Christians. So I asked them questions, and I really wasn't satisfied, especially with his testimony. And so uh, I talked a little bit about God. He mentioned how much God had meant to him and how God had changed his life. And, but he still wasn't quite on target with things that he said. So I said, well, now let me clarify all of this. I said, you understand who God is? And he said, yes. He's the one who created us, yes. And he's the one who loves us, yes. And he's the one who sent his son Jesus to die in our place for our sins. And he rose up and his fist was clenched. And he said, why do you always have to mention this Jesus? And I'll tell you, and I honestly didn't have time to turn the other cheek. <laughs> I didn't know where to duck. And they stormed out, and the next day they um, uh, got the services of a justice of peace. And the day following that, uh, he knocked on my door. <laughs> oh boy, I'll tell you, when I saw him, I didn't know what to do. And he said, well, Pastor, he said, you're right. It didn't work out. <laughs> and they were going to get a divorce. I mean, it's literally that way. Shared with him more about the gospel, never made any decision about it. But then I got a letter from him about a year and a half later, telling me all that had transpired and referred to our conversations and, and interaction, debates, I suppose they were, and um, came to a place of personal surrender to Jesus Christ, joined staff of Campus Crusade for Christ, um, worked in one of the campuses and Central California, just really did a wonderful job. And I thought of those words of C.S. Lewis who said about Jesus. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. 
We either believe him and make him the foundation of our lives or we reject him and spend the rest of our lives falling over him. There is no other alternative. Is there anyone here who is not built upon him? Are you a priest and you know it? Are you a bridge builder? Do you understand what it means to have a conversion experience and a forgiveness of sins? Boy, I hope you do. Because that's what it's about. The glorious praises about Jesus is that he's God's son. He died for us. He rose again and he offers us forgiveness of sins and life that's eternal. Now let me ask a question here to everyone who has built upon him. How's your hunger? I don't mean for Bible knowledge. I mean for knowing how to live. How to how to please God, how to take this truth here and translate it into life and lip and attitude. What bridges did you build last week? Uh, who was encouraged and who was helped and who was instructed? Uh, who was supported? That's what it's all about. And Peter says when we're growing, craving this uh, milk of the word, then we're building bridges because everybody needs milk and everybody needs bridges. You get that, and you have people who are able to cope with all of the horrendous hassles that Peter's going to talk about. From political oppression, to martyrdom, to difficulties in the home, wherever they are, we get that resource. Father, thank you for giving to us a substantial help, a cornerstone that is firm and secure in Jesus. And Lord, if there is someone here today who's never built upon him, I would pray that you very mercifully would accompany that individual with restlessness until they rest themselves in the security of the foundation of your grace. And Lord, I want all of us here to have a craving for your word so that we might know how to live and to be able to declare your praises. And Lord, if there is something that is missing in our life, if there is some kind of dullness and dryness, Lord, we would pray that you would just search us and see if any of these viruses are within us. And give to us, Lord, your special help to strip them away from our lives so that we might be clean and that we might be able to be um, vibrant because your spirit controls us. Lord, for your glory, enable us to be people who are growing people who are building for your glory and for the help of others. Amen. And there you have it, another great sermon from the Life Well Lived podcast. I am your host, Andrew Jensen. Don't forget to share and subscribe. Until next time, signing off.